Welcome to Tell Me About Your Father's Daddy Issues. This is the Pride Edition, honey. We're serving rainbow logo, pride float, corporate inclusivity policy, realness, and daddy culture with a Z all month long. Jesus, no periods in that whole thing. As we talk with a fabulous lineup of queer people about who or what is or is not their dad in recent current events and pop culture. I am Matthew Philp. I'm Erin Hosier. And I am Elizabeth Thompson. This month's episodes will feature queer people of deep significance, including special projects editor at InStyle and cultural commentator Peyton Dix, His Imperial Highness, the legendary father of the House of Khan, Luna Lewis Ortiz, and Marie's Crisis Piano Bar, Master of Ceremonies, the iconic Kenny Green. But today we kick things off auspiciously indeed with the American rock drummer Ooh. and Taurus who provided the rhythmic foundation for the band Hole from 1994 to 1998, whose debut record, Live Through This, was named the best rock album of 94 and ultimately one of all time by critics at Rolling Stone, Spin, the LA Times, The Village Voice. She is the subject of the 2011 documentary Hit So Hard about her brutal battle with addiction and subsequent recovery. In 2017, she collaborated with our very own Erin Hosier to write and publish a memoir also titled Hit So Hard, which NPR's Ann Powers called a clearly considered, deeply honest, must read about rock and roll realities. As if that wasn't enough, I am told that she is a whiz at crafting felted wool. She is a parent and she lives in LA, but she is joining us from America's famous Sausalito. Sausalito. I'm talking about Patty Schemmel. Patty Schemmel. Patty, you are here. We are so glad you are here. What an honor. And to kick off Pride Month. Yeah. I was going to say, regarding Pride, do you think that you're going to feel welcome at Pride this year? Do you go to Pride events? I haven't in a while. But you mean welcome as in... You know all the kink-shaming people that are like, kink has no place at Pride. Oh, and I'm... <laughs> no, I don't mean that you're specifically kinky. I'm just saying, do you like do you put? I think this whole idea of like who's welcome and not welcome is kind There's of ludicrous. There's places for that though, you know, like yeah. like in LA we have Dyke Day, you know, and there's sure. like the there's like the it's like family, like all the dykes with right. kids, and then over here behind like a bisqueen, uh, you know, sort of fenced in area is our friends from the BDSM, you know, and they yeah. they kind of duck back in. Right. They come in and out. It just seemed kind of funny. There's a lot of pearl clutching going on with Gen Z at the moment, sort of saying, um, I don't want to see that. And it's like, right. girl, the only reason you can do anything is because those people were out there before you right. were born. I agree. You know what I mean? 100. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I just was interested to know about that. But where are you right now? You were you were saying that you were in, you're in Sausalito. What are you doing there? The beautiful Sausalito, Bay Area. And I'm at my girlfriend's family's home where she grew up and visiting her mother, Diane. And we haven't seen her because of COVID. So now it's our first time to get to come here and like say hello. But my girlfriend, Stephanie, her father is Nicholas Sijikoff, who is an amazing graphic designer and Caldecott award-winning artist. So this morning when I was talking about where I'm going to do the podcast today, I was going to do it upstairs. I've never been inside the den where I am right now. And that's Nicholas passed away in 93. This was like his space. His dad's room. He designed so many like amazing pieces of art and started a design firm in California, Sijikoff and Berman. And they designed a lot of cool California art and 
signage and stuff. And he's in a lot of books. So when his work is all over the house and one of my favorite just people of history in the world is Jean Cocteau. And they're in the house. I walk in and and there's a giant like Jean Cocteau film poster that Stephanie's dad created in Paris. Oh my God, you're obsessed with Jean Cocteau. I know. It's crazy. And then, that is crazy. I'm a, I was allowed to set up in Nicholas. I'm in his office right now. And Steph's not very, she kind of told me a little bit, but then I just dug around and snooped around and like her dad created a, a deck of tarot cards and did a lot of great mm-hmm. collaborations, did some Bob Dylan posters. And, and he's just like a classy older sort of Russian Latvian man who like was self-made. And yeah. came to the Bay Area and met Stephanie's mother, who was much younger and beautiful. And they fell in love. She still in love with him. And yeah. he's like a, a king, a prince. He's just so amazing. I'm looking at these pictures of him and he's like handsome, older. I just Googled him, Patty. I didn't recognize his name, but I immediately recognized his work. It's sort of folk art looking, and he illustrated The Friendly Beast, yeah. which we had growing up. Uh-huh. Shout Absolutely. out to my mom. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that and uh, Babushka. Babushka and the Three Kings. Yes. He wow. was hot. What a hottie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hot dad. Let your girlfriend know that her late father was totally hot. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. She'll totally say that too. She's, yeah, my dad. My dad's hot. He's tight. She says stuff like that too. Like, oh yeah, my dad's tight. That's how she, that's how you do your impression of her. Yeah. It, well, she does. Yeah. <laughs> She's from yeah. Sicily. Her father was much older than her mother, and then she was born in the 80s. So, like, when I think of her father as this sort of very classy, artistic, Parisian, Latvian gentleman, and then, you know, Steph grew up in, in Sausalito, and she's like, you know, she had a white Jeep in high school. And so, you know, she's, <laughs> she's an amazing artist as well. And she uh. can, you know, not only, like, create things with the computer but she can like sit down and sketch things out right that's not a thing I have you're like my brother can do that I can't make it uh, translate from my brain to my hand although dude your felted wool dogs they are incredibly realistic Patty made a replica out of felted it was like the dog's fur yeah a replica of the dog And it is like the coolest thing. I would pay a lot of money for something like that back when I had money to like buy gifts for people. Um, Do you sell them? um, (laughs) I think I I shall start. I created a, do you guys remember Busy Town? Huckle Cat. I made a Huckle Cat and a Sally Cat. And then the, my piece de resistance uh, is Lowly Worm. You know, Lord Lord wants you. Patty, you need to start an Etsy page where you make Richard Scary wool things. Yeah. Yes. Is it repetitive in that same grounded way that drumming is for yeah. you? Like, yeah. Just sort of like your body. shape this uh, ball of, you know, wool into a thing with needles, you know, and then you sort of craft. It's sculpting with wool, kind of. And I don't do it the traditional way. Like, my creations are really tough and hard, but usually they're very soft and gentle. And it's a, a lot of Waldorf schools. Oh, yeah, Waldorf school. Yeah, that's yeah. where I learned was being a mom of a Waldorf kid. Wait, the Waldorf school in 
Patty, tell Matt yeah. from Sydney, Australia, what the Waldorf School is. It started in Germany, and it's Rudolf Steiner uh, created. Oh yes, and it's like a earth-based, holistic, whole child idea of teaching children without screens like it, it, all the toys are made of wood you know mm. like you know this wooden iron doesn't have a cord on it because we're never going to use electricity it's like that <laughs> right. like, go outside and like put your feet and hands in the dirt get dirty yeah and it's really eat the dirt and, and like animals and farm school and like upstate new york has like uh. like a serious sort of almost culty thing where oh, yeah. they have a farm school and the kids go out there and like work in the farm and then go back in and there's just sort of a process to it that's really simple and for me I really loved that simplicity with my daughter because it's just crazy we were, we were living in Los Angeles but also trying to be like these sort of like off the grid Waldorf family <laughs> you know and like oh, meanwhile yeah. when my wife and I separated I moved into a sort of a louder little I moved into like a one-bedroom apartment in a like a really loud little neighborhood in Chinatown and I was like it's so loud I can't sleep and then I was like I don't have earbuds I'll get to the connection here I know it's a weird story um, I don't have earbuds and but I reached into my basket of wool and I needle felted some earbuds for myself oh my god full circle Jesus Christ the drummer heals thyself yes yes with wool crafting wow that's self-sufficiency that's being able to create anything patty do you have any tea for us about celebrity parents who send their kids to the waldorf school yeah yeah. spill spill the tea (laughs) there's such an issue about like preserving the original ideals of like the simplicity there's kids that like tell on other kids for watching tv because you're not supposed to you know and and you're not supposed to wear t-shirts that have anything on them like your dad's weezer shirt yes and then meanwhile you know waldorf's all over the world so and it's always the same when you go into a waldorf school there's always going to be you know a round circle carpet where the kids have circle time so a lot of people that make films and travel around the world will bring their kids to Waldorf because when they travel, they can just pop into another Uh, Waldorf. So, you know, one day we're sitting outside at the outside under the Oak tree and I look over and, Oh, it's Holly Hunter. just sitting there. (laughs) Hi, Holly Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) She said, hi, Patty. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Patty. (laughs) She does have a sort of an organic, Oddness. Yeah, like kind her. of a sideways in raising Arizona. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. But immediately when whenever there's like a talent show event, like they do a sort of a parents talent show thing and it's like a fundraiser. So they hit me up, like, hey, do you want to be in the parents fundraiser band? And I was like, sure. So first what we did was we were the backing band for the kids in the high school for their talent show, right? Which was really cool. Like kids doing music. But then it was like you know, it's like parents night out. And what's her name from the office? Melora Hardin. Oh, okay. yeah. She, she's am great. I, is this so it's like the parents get to do, you know, cover. So she's like, we are, you know, soul yeah. song. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But she, so she does a song. And then like the genius of all of this is John C. Riley. He <gasps> is a huge proponent for the, like such a supporter of the school. And right. So he and I are in the band together. So we're rehearsing. And I'm like, I want to play it cool. I don't want to yeah, like yeah. go, hey, 
And I, I really wanted to start some Steve Brule talk there, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's amazing. And he has like this cool, like sort of like Dixieland jazz band. And Ooh. does that. Did you know that before yeah. you met him? Yeah. And oh. then he would just pop up and I'd be like, holy, oh. I'm glad I'm in this situation with John C. Wright. And then, like, <laughs> But I just wanted to talk music. Like it was sort of that musical artist respectfulness. Sure. And then like, like if we talk about some music or something, he'd say, me and my friend uh, Jennifer, I, I don't think he said her name. It was Jennifer Jason Lee who he was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was talking Jeez. about the movie Georgia. Right. And he He'd never played the drums before. And he was like, so he needed to get lessons. So DJ Bonebreak from X taught John C. Riley how to play a few beats so he could like maybe, you know, audition process because Jennifer was like, hey, get in this movie with me. And so he got in. And so he told me that story. And I was like, oh, my God, I really want Jennifer Jason Lee to come. But I'm sure she, you know wasn't in town why is she gonna come to the talent show um but and then and then kind of hanging around like get, waiting to go on like backstage or whatever just sitting there and he's like sipping tea or whatever he's doing and i'm sipping tea and like i'm thinking well i better come up with a story that's equally as cool as this georgia's story you know sure so and i'm kicking around stuff and i'm you know thinking oh well i don't know can't remember what i told him but he was so kind and respectful and his son is, he has two boys, I think. So he's going to do a song with his son. Comes his son is like male model. I literally, Patty, when you were talking, I wanted to blurt out his oldest son is hot. And then I didn't say that because I thought it would be inappropriate. So his oldest I. son is so hot. I mean, just a handsome, good kid, like and a great singer, like a beautiful Adonis child. Yes, he is yeah. a model. Then he's talented, and they're doing a song together. A father-son? Yeah, and it was- You're killing oh me. Oh, my God. Palace Brothers song or something, you know, clever like that. Oh, cool. And I was like, what? <laughs> Top that, B.B. Newworth. What kind of parent had to follow that act? Yeah, what parent? Like, how do you go, oh, good, on next? My kid, yeah. Me and my kid are not coming out here doing anything. He's not into, like, she's not a, like, I want to play music. Nothing. What is she into? Gymnastics. Sure. Right now. Sure. Um, school had a peace drum circle where all these kids had djembes and they did this amazing performance. And it's real drum patterns and real, like, African beats. And she saw her friend Morgan doing it. And she's yeah. like, Mom, I want to do, you know, Morgan showed me some beats. And I was like. I've been waiting for her to be interested because I, I didn't want to be like, you're going to. And then I was like, on it right away. I was like, got on the horn, contact Mona Tavakoli over at LP Percussion. Let's get to Jimbe, you know, or whatever. And so like, now we're going to go and have like a, like, we're going to go Jimbe it up at her place. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, don't lose interest. We're going to do this. Aww. But she yeah. kind of explained a beat and I was like, oh, cool. Do you know what her take is on your career? And your like impact? She doesn't have kind of any real idea. Like she doesn't know. She knows that. Did she call it mom music? Mom's rock and roll. Mom's rock oh. and roll. She doesn't think that um, it sounds very good. She really likes, uh, you know, Katy Perry. And that's cool. Like, I gotta say, I don't, I'm not really into those moms and dads that I've met that are like, 
you know, Koa really likes Velvet Underground. He <laughs> yeah. Like, not, right. not any of the later stuff, you know, not loaded, but definitely that first record. And maybe that next yeah. Kansas City live record. <laughs> right. He really loves that one. Dead Milkman, man. Ariel really likes the Can record or Captain Beefheart. <laughs> no, sure. they don't. And you grab the kid and go, "What name one song on that album, kid, right now. And they have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I think not trying to curate her talent, her interests, you know. Good. I would, but then I also, I'm always doubting it, though. Like, God, maybe I should put on some throbbing gristle or something. You know, just to ensure <laughs> some wire. sounds get in the ears. You know, like how parents try to curate that. And not those later Clash records. It's pretty much Sandinista. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and the names too. You know, Laser really likes Sandinista. That's it. Laser, Laser, and Koa, amazing. <laughs> and Brooklyn prefers Lou Reed's solo work. Uh, Berlin is his yeah. or her favorite. <laughs> Their favorite. Yes, Jonah Impose. But it's like parent legacy anxiety, right? That's what that is. That's like, oh my god, what if all my immense talent dies with me? Like, then they have to immediately pass it on forcibly onto their children. Yeah. Mm. But can I just ask a question kind of along the lines of what you were talking about, Patty? Just the idea of like, you're not forcing your own daughter to kind of follow in your footsteps. You're not pushing her. You talked quite a lot about having like no one to look up to as a young lesbian musician. Do you kind of feel the need to fill that gap for young women that you see now? Do you play that role for anybody? I do consider that. Like When I came out in uh, 95, like publicly, and, and it was in the Rolling Stone, it was a natural sort of uh, like explanation of my life. I'm, you know, I'm just, this is me, who I am with a slightly conscious thought to those girls out in the world that were me that didn't have any, and were searching like for anything different. And, you know, uh, well, Patty Smith's wearing a suit. She's not gay, but, or um, come on, Joan Jett, come on. (laughs) You know, Janice Ian, you're just like looking, looking, searching. So it would have been great to have someone that said that they're okay with it, you know, then. Mm -hmm. I mean, by doing that, in Rolling Stone, you automatically did create that for, you know, a generation of people. I mean, by just by doing that alone, and even if you sort of said nothing else about it, you you absolutely did that for people and you created a massive difference. I wanted to ask you about coming out too, because when I came out, I felt, there's all, you know how people, when they come out, they're like, oh, I felt so relieved. It was so great. I felt so happy. And I went out and just like paraded down the street. I did not. I felt vulnerable, insecure, very, very uncomfortable. And like Mm. it went on for a while. And I only came out to my mom. Like, you know what I mean? Like I only came out to my family, my friends. You did it in Rolling Stone. Like, what is that like? My God. How did you feel when it was on newsstands? I did the same thing you did. I was, I came out to my mother and it was out from a lot of pain, a shame. And I was... I wanted to kill myself. You know, I could not, I couldn't see myself where I came from. You know, like there were so, there was an event where I tried to kiss this girl that I had a crush on and it, it was horrible. And um, I thought, uh, well, this is my life. You know, I'm never going to be loved or loved the mm. way I feel, you know, naturally. And my mom was so amazing. And she said, you'll find those people. You'll find your people. 
and you know, as I grew up and then started playing more in, I was 18, I was just playing in bands and then, you know, and then arriving in whole, it was, um, I felt better about myself. And I also, I did, you know, consciously want to make things okay for the girls that were me, you know, and there was this incident where we were touring, we were in Europe and it was um, 1995 and I got a call from our management and they said, hey, um, your high school is having their 10 year uh, reunion. Oh, right. And, um, you know, they really want you to go. And uh, (laughs) you're going to be, you know, you're going to be in Amsterdam or whatever. And I was like, yeah, but thanks for covering that. And so the guy, Brian, at Q Prime was like, do you want to send over like a thanks card kind of something? And I was like, yeah. So, you know, they did that. So then cut to like a couple weeks later, I'm at home in Seattle and I see my friend Dan Smith, who uh, was my other punk rock guy at school, you know, like my, and Dan's like, oh my God, you're not going to believe at the 10th anniversary, Diane Mosher came up to me and said, oh my God, did you hear about Patty Schimmel? And he's like, oh yeah, that she's in hole. And, and she was like, no, she's a lesbian. Where's Diane Mosher now? And I was like, none of you knew? Come on, people. But you were also lucky because rock and roll kind of saved you. You have your brother, Larry, right? Talk about Larry a little bit and your friendship with Kurt Cobain. You both met each other as very young adults in bands. In playing in bands in Seattle in like the late 80s, everybody was starting their bands, you know, and so we'd all play shows with each other. And it was just beginning. There was like Soundgarden and I met Bruce Pavitt and he was like, I'm quitting my job. Everybody that played music worked at this place called Muzak, and they made those Muzak tapes that you hear in the lobby. In or and um, they all worked there, like Mark worked there, Tad worked there. And so Bruce quit Muzak and started Sub Pop full time. And then Mud Honey started, and they started playing shows. And I had these little goals, like, I just want to play a Sub Pop Sunday night at the Vogue, you know, and then you do that. And so and then me and Larry would take trips to Tacoma and Olympia and there seems a little different. No one was getting drunk there for sure. And I, I was kind of like, mama loved a cocktail. <laughs> at, at 16, mama loved. But it was cool. Their music was different. And that's where I saw Kurt. So wait, about Kurt Cobain, you lived with him and Courtney. Yeah. Courtney has spoken about this like kind of vaguely and she's always sort of like hinted that he should have had like a she should have slept with a guy or like he, she kind of believed that he had the potential to be bisexual you lived with the two of them do you ever have like a spidey gay sense about him do you ever pick anything up i'm gonna say you know what no um but who knows you know like yeah yeah he was sort of like asexual i have to say but i did i remember before he was with courtney he was there was a show in portland it was tree people uh, like Dinosaur Jr. and Nirvana and it was Triple Bill and like everybody went to Portland to see this show. And I remember my friend Carrie was all like drunkles and you know we we're hanging out and she's like trying to get with Kurt, really yeah. trying. If Carrie, if you hear this, you know we know this. <laughs> and she was like really pushing it. No shade. And uh, like messy lipstick. You know he was cool. They were talking, hanging out. And then I think we all stayed at the same sort of motel hotel. And she was like on the phone, like, you know, and then he ended up getting down with this other girl. God, what is her name? 
And she kind of like short hair, not like super femme, just real, like she could have worked at the co-op at Olympia, you know, like real, like simple hippie cool girl. And yeah. he was with her. He got with her that night. And, mm-hmm. um, and like he would do that. And I, I think I actually told Courtney, I was like, oh, I remember that Kurt and blah, 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 whoever I forget her name, got together. And Courtney was like, no, he didn't. Because apparently, you know, he told me everybody. You know, I was like, no. Well, He's, he was always an ally. Like, he was a super, he, like, yeah, totally. a, a really outspoken, legit, credible ally to the gay community from, like, the very beginning. Yeah. Him saying it's okay to be gay. And he was like, I wish I was because then it would piss off the homophobes. I was like, there you go. That's a, that's something a secure man can say. <laughs> like mm-hmm. That even enforced my feelings about being out, you know? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. to have that. I mean, I was going to do that anyway. I mean, be out publicly, but with Kurt saying... God is gay, for instance. And his sister's gay. <laughs> you know, Kim's gay. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, there right. you go. Yeah. Where we are now with more understanding about... It's not just about sexuality. It's about gender. And what this podcast is about is dismantling the patriarchal system that Kurt was putting voice to. And you, you and Courtney, everybody in in that scene at the time. He didn't make you feel like a girl drummer. Nobody in that scene made you feel like a girl drummer. Just a drummer. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. That was revolutionary. And it still is. Did you find that you had pressure from anyone in the music industry to stay kind of closeted or at least temper your queerness in any way? No, but... I will say that I look back on a lot of photo shoots and I'm go, God, I really, for a butch dyke, I really got, you know, I'm kind of femmed up there. But I, I felt <laughs> that though, too. I can appreciate my feminine self as well, you know, mm-hmm. but like our bubble was so, it was a good place. I have to say like our rehearsal space and our working environment was always a safe place. You know, I mean, as far as that right. goes, I mean, but That's good. as far as drugs and et cetera and, and, <laughs> Um, being treated horribly by your right. bandmates. I mean, and, and uh, weird status dysfunction. Well. That was rampant. Sure. Yeah. Rock and roll. But at least they weren't homophobes, you know. Let's move into our signature game where we discuss who in recent pop culture and current events is and is not our dad. We are going to start off, as we always do, by discussing who is not our dad this week. And just a reminder, when we decide that someone or something isn't our dad, it means that that personal thing has recently been infuriating, tragic, cruel, or just a massive disappointment. And this month, they're not welcome at Pride. Erin, who have you got? Well, yesterday I was doing a marathon binge of uh, Felicity season one on Hulu. And it holds up. That's a red flag, Erin. I love it. It's really, really good. Even season one, I'm going to bat for it. But what I noticed is that Hulu's commercials have taken on a real pride theme and that most of them are uh, for pharmaceuticals. Probably most ads, I think, are for either like potato chips or some kind of drug that a doctor can recommend. Um, one of the commercials that I saw that that is just part of this world is kind of hilarious. Have you seen it? The drug is called Imbexi, 
And it is a bioidentical soft gel insert for women of estrogen. And it is a Bridgerton-themed commercial where it's like a woman is a queen. And you know she's a queen because she's wearing basically like Courtney's outfit from that solo record that she like corsets and heaving bosom and a big towering Marie Antoinette gray wig. And it the tagline is your vagina is queen. Imvexi is her ally. Long, <laughs> long may she reign. And then there's a whole bunch of other copy that's all about like how Vaginal atrophy causes painful sex, which they're they're referring to P and V sex post menopause when you, it's gross, and that's not here. What I'm I'm not here to talk about it. I just found it so. I wish you were. So that's funny, incredible. you guys. I'm like a doctor. Look Gyna. for it. I googled it, and there's a website called Fierce Pharma, which is just like a marketing. Uh, hub for and they probably consult or just sort of shine a light on like here's great new trends in in pharma commercials and i just can't believe it's called fierce pharma but within this family i'm going to play you a clip 20 seconds of an ad i saw that made me go hmm and then i'm gonna stop it and you guys Things guess you go, hmm. what the product might be I'm Stephen, I'm 52, and I'm a makeup artist. I met my husband in 2002. I miss those eyes. Do you think you could fall in love again? I'm so ready, you know? So what do you see when you look at yourself? I see a really long life lived of vast experiences. Guesses? What is the product that is about to be sold? It is a pharmaceutical. So he I said, say, I miss those eyes. Does that mean he had eyes removed or his husband did or his husband died? So Plus, th- that's I love fair. the calming Australian. Is it I an, sh- an, an AIDS? Uh, yeah, that was my guess. Right. HIV. I, yeah. would, then I thought it was right? a new Chris Lilly show that I was excited about. 100%. <laughs> right? Oh, my God, 100%. Summer, side, summer Heights High. Yeah. Because you guys can't see the commercial, but you hear in his voice the emotion. Um, he's a bald Australian man who's been identified as a makeup artist. He's bathed in a studio light. And yeah, okay, I'll just reveal. So some kind of longevity thing? One would Like hope. HIV, testosterone? I don't Your know. brain goes to HIV, though. He lost sure. his partner 20 years ago. Here we go. Botox Cosmetic is FDA approved to temporarily make frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better. The effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems. So as the Botox commercial, <laughs> I have he's doing... seen those eyes. I know. I know. Oh he, my the only God. reason he misses them. This immediately eclipsed I'm Vexy, I'm Vexy. Vaginal suppository, queen vagina. I I just don't know what to say. I guffawed. Wow. That is jug. That hits right to the core. Is the husband not dead? (laughs) Well, so here's the thing. The husband. He just went out. (laughs) He just went out to get milk, and that's why his reaction was. 
I thought this through a lot. I think what they're trying to say is that you can still have emotions just because it might not look like you have emotions. (laughs) You can cry still? You can. Oh, you can cry because we can hear it in your epiglottis. No, but you know what's so great about this? They probably did a thing where it was like, just say that like, oh, your your partner died, but you can still look young and and get laid for the rest of your life because of Botox. And then the marketing people were like, yeah, but we're not, we can't really, you've got to get that other secondary point in there. Just force that in. Yes. We don't, that's a still look like a human. Yes. And it's like, but that's going to be tone deaf and horrifying. Yeah, just do it. Just fucking do it in your fire. That's what they tell you. And then that's the ad you get. Well, the whole time, I just love that you guys couldn't see what was happening. Because when you see what is happening, he's he's reflecting back on like the makeup looks that he would do on himself and his husband at the club in the 80s, because this is a man in his 50s. That's when you're supposed to really start, you know, getting your shit together if you want to be loved again. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, I'm sure he's not slept with anyone since, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that is Botox. You're my dad, but you're not my dad this month. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wait, okay, going back to the commercial, is he talking about missing his own eyes, his 20 years ago eyes? No, those eyes. I think he's talking about his partner yeah he's talking about his ex like it's like real emotion because his husband died i was hoping it was like him being like i miss my eyes from 20 years ago exactly i I think that's the (laughs) subtext i think that's another part of it because you get rid of crow's feet with botox right and then people will think you're more handsome so then right. you can be loved. You're more valid in there. It's all lovable. of the things. Right. And I'm that, shocked, Aaron. Isn't that a good one? A bit busy. Does that really surprise you? Gay people in marketing and creative departments have a lot to answer for because there's somebody, unless yeah. there was no one gay in that department, <laughs> which is a, of another thing that happens all the time. But totally. The, they just like go, yeah, that's fine. You described the imagined meeting perfectly. That's exactly what the conversation was. Just fucking it, do it. God damn it, Aaron, that was gold. Thank you. We have a first this time. Patty and I both prepared the same subject, which I think really is a testament to just how loathsome this subject is. villain. So on Tuesday, which is the first day of Pride Month, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed into law a bill that bans transgender girls and women from competing on female sports teams at the high school and college level. Here's how he did this. He sat down on TV at Trinity Christian Academy in Jacksonville with his young daughter in her best party dress. She's got to be like six. She had to have no idea what she was doing as a prop to sign the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. The law says this. Women and girls must play on the sports teams of the biological sex. That's the language that they used Mm -mm. on their birth certificate. Therefore, a transgender girl whose birth certificate denotes her biological sex as male cannot play on a girl's sports team, but trans males may play on teams with other males. The argument here is that this is protecting female-born athletes from what? What is it protecting them from? Unbelievable. That right? What conflict exists? Patty, what did you think of this? Uh, the fact right. that his daughter, using her as a prop, kind of. 
Yeah, as if to say, here's what a real girl looks like. Like, uh, this is this is what we're protecting. It's just like, oh, my God. Oh, God. And yeah. she really doesn't have any say what where she is and what she's, you know. Um, yeah. I think it's sort of like Ted Cruz did this with his, he sort of used his daughters a bit. And we kind of were thinking about that. Like, there's a point when those those girls are going to be like teenagers and they're going to be like, holy crap, look at what you implicated me in. Hopefully, we're hoping that. Like, what's her name's daughter? Kellyanne Conway's daughter. That was great. In a crazy Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Claudia. That is not actually where DeSantis stopped, by the way. This very week, in fact. She had... Sorry, she doesn't get to be she. (laughs) Bitch had his work to do this month. (laughs) Yeah. He waited a week until a week before the fifth anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting which was an act of domestic terror aimed specifically at the LGBT community in which 39 people died at the scene and 11 died later at the hospital to announce that he was cutting almost a million dollars in funding from state programs geared towards the LGBT community, including funding for mental health. How about that? What a masterpiece uh, of a move that was. Perfectly timed as well. That's like, you know, the conversation around scheduling and uh, yeah. When to sign and do the all this was like like a glimpse inside like a villain's a layer of people mm-hmm. like a hundred percent you know like evil mm-hmm. people horrifying mm-hmm. that's what I thought I thought I was like so what is all this about but what's it really about and I think it's actually about performing cruelty in public mm-hmm. to gain favor so and to to demonstrate loyalty and strength mm-hmm. um, I think trans people are an easy target I think that it's easy to just cast them as other. And then kind of bring in that old kind of mid-century and before like myth about the deviant and just like put that onto them. But it's, I feel like what they always do with these situations is that the first thing that they do, they do is deny that they were ever trying to do anything bad. And then they mischaracterize their intent. So DeSantis said, it's not a message to anything other than saying that we're here to protect fairness and women's sport, Mm -hmm. which is him gaslighting people who have an emotional response to this, which is what they want to do. Protecting their titles, like protecting Mm -hmm. their ability to win their little races or protecting them from the locker room rape that they are assuming is being perpetuated. What? And since when do you care about our locker room rapes? Yeah, since when is rape a concern of yours? 100%. The New York Times Daily Podcast did an episode a few weeks ago about this and what a non-issue it is and this baffling. The GOP like has taken this on as like a fake sort of advocacy around Title IX of like, we need sports to be fair for girls. And if we allow trans girls to play on sports, it's just not fair. And it's like, there's literally no cases of (laughs) girls high school sports or college sports being hurt by trans girls playing like it being unfair or anyone losing an opportunity because of it it is purely to vilify and demonize a group of people who already are susceptible to suicide children being a trans kid is fucking hard and they kill themselves because of shit like this and so i hope that ron desantis can personally attend all of the funerals of these kids because this is what's going to happen. I have trans friends and I I know trans children as well. And I, a friend of mine, his son, like he identifies as he's maybe six. He identifies as a girl and 
when this started to present itself and he would, you know, come home and he would want to put on his princess dresses and want to, my friend David was like, you know, but when we go out and we go to school, it's like we got to wear our outside clothes, you know, which is pants and a sweatshirt. And, and he, he said, that's how it was. But then one day, you know, he saw his, his son come home and come in the door and like take off his outside clothes and then put on his princess dress and sit down and, and, and then re- and all of a sudden just sort of relax and let it all, he had arrived in where he felt. And so he was walking in that all day. Yeah, that, yeah. And so he said, in that moment was the moment I said, you may be whoever you want to be and identify however you want to be. Uh, again, yeah. like, you know. mm-hmm. What an exhausting burden to put on a kid. But it's, I mean, it's amazing that he recognized that. It starts with the gender reveal party, you know. I, this topic, whenever this happens, and you know, you get these guys, these people are like trolling basically. That's what they're doing. They're kind of trying to get the left to bite. I always sort of have this instinct to not respond to the actual content and just go, like, is trolling really that lucrative? Like, what is it like to constantly do things that you know are so awful that you can't even admit to what you're doing and you have to couch it in some other messaging? Why don't you just say that you hate trans people? Why do you Mm -hmm. have to, like, make these laws, sneak it in, and then go, oh, no, 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 it's about protecting women. If you can't just say what you're doing, surely there's something wrong with it. If you have to hide it when you're an adult with power, like... It's like such cowardice, I think. When some moment happens when there's like a, a scandal where someone has been, you know, paying underage girls for sure. sex and it comes out and, you know, like there's always those moments and mm-hmm. thank fucking God here and there. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It never fails. You scratch the surface. You see there's a Matt Gates or a, a whatever, like behind this urgency to protect family values is usually a secret love affair, children being molested, (laughs) trafficking, uh, drugs, whatever. I mean, I think it goes back to Mike Pence. Everyone's like, oh, he's gay and maybe he is. But I'm like, maybe he was privy to like an abortion in high school or something. Like maybe he got a girl pregnant. Maybe he like helped pay for an abortion or something. Like what is his obsession with this? And that's where I'm like, something is there's some damage here. Yeah. Damn. The way they cover up stuff is so poor. Like, remember the uh, wide gate sort when the guy slipped yep. his shoe yep. under That's into right. the next stall? And it's like, yeah. like, like they come up with these crazy sort of like shenanigans to get like, well, I have a wide gate when I'm sitting on the, <laughs> when I'm, you know, like, come yeah. on. Like they're, they're even bad at their cover up stories. Like, come on, get a, get, you know, don't you have a better team behind you to hide this stuff? I think the other reason why DeSantis and the GOP is so suddenly seems to care about this is because the primaries are coming up and they're probably terrified next year, terrified that they're going to lose power. They're going to, you know, not be able to regain control. So I think that's behind it, too. They're trying to appeal to their super, super Republican bases, conservative bases.
It's your turn. <laughs> oh my what god, it is three sixteen. Well, I'm just gonna take. I'm just gonna end this um, by talking about my least favorite thing in the world right now, which is people who arrive places early. Um, I they're have, not your dad. They're not my dad. People who arrive places fifteen minutes early are not my dad. Or I'm, welcome at Pride, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're not welcome at Pride. And if you get to Pride 15 minutes before it starts, <laughs> don't no, do home. it. You should don't be ashamed you. of yourself. Go to Al-Anon right now because you yes. have massive control problems. Yes. That's right. Um, so, you know, as we've started to edge back into making plans and meeting up with people and going to parties, I have been in a couple, like, more frequent situations where I arrive – you know, on time and the person I was meeting has been sitting there for 15 minutes. And, you know, it's different. Like if somebody just wants to get somewhere early and they're not like, I'm here, like, that's fine. That's, I don't have a problem with that. But it's the text of like, got here early, grabbed us a table. It's like, why are you there early? Now I feel bad and I'm on time. And it's like a weird power thing, I think. Low key gaslighting. That's what that is. I think it's low-key gaslighting, and I also think it tr- I am triggered by it because my dad's dad, who is a big bully, um, was a big get there 15 minutes. If you're not 15 minutes early, that means you're late. And I sometimes think if that guy had just taken that extra 15 minutes and, like, used it to hug his kids, like, my dad's life would have been really different. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus wow. Christ, that is so. Yeah. So, just people who do that, if you want to get there early, that's fine. Just don't share that with the person because it really stresses everybody out. And also, never go to a party 15 minutes early. My God, what an act of terror. Or a Zoom. Or a Zoom. Or a Zoom or just anything. Don't. I just find it to be incredibly um, rude and controlling, desperate, and something. It's an to act of t- aggression. An act of aggression something to thank to Al-Anon or Adult Children of Alcoholics. Both yes. programs, I'm a grateful member of both, and it's something to take to those rooms, but not to take out on dates, friends, business colleagues. No, no. You get there on time or you get there early, but you don't tell the person. That's it. I just want to say how proud I am of you, Elizabeth, because originally you expressed that not your dad this week was going to be your own issues with time management. And I am so glad that you turned it around. I did. I turned it around and I thought, I'm not going to take responsibility for my own time management. I'm mostly on time. There's too much going on. I think that when people add the extra pressure of being 15 minutes early somewhere, so if someone's five minutes late, they've been sitting there for 20 minutes. Like, why did you get there 15 minutes fucking early? Because they don't have anything else to do when they're dead. But like, alone. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I absolved myself of um, responsibility, Erin, unless you're right. I was like, I'm going to twist this a little bit and not well, make it about me being a few minutes late. But everywhere. this is the perfect It's not my way. fault. It's their fault for getting their 15 fucking minutes early. And it all goes back to my grandpa. So but it's appropriate is, for this podcast. But it's also appropriate for the next transition, which is your game coming up yes. because which is a 
whole the band themed game mm -hmm. because Ms. Courtney Love has never been on time or less than an hour at least late for anything in her entire life, I think. So there is a happy medium, you know, of of respect and control and OCD issues. Being an hour late is really rude. There's, you know, like, well, everybody knows that about her. There is no everybody absolute does. way that I will ever expect that. But then there's other friends that I have that might play an instrument that has four strings and have red hair and are, <laughs> or, or that are Canadian that show up late. That there's no reason. I feel disrespected. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know how to you know how to get around the New York City get here on time. You... It's like flying around in the ether and has no idea what time it is. That person knows what time it is. I know. Do you ever bring that up with Courtney Love? Do you ever say, "Can you just like you always leave me waiting for an hour?" <laughs> LOL. Absolutely not. There's never. No. It's not something she prioritizes. You just gotta be kind of schemy about it and go. Okay, we got rehearsal. Rehearsals at seven p.m., but it's really at nine. So then you know. Fair. Then she. This is the weird. She's got some weird psychic shit that goes on because she'll show up. She'll flip it on you and she'll show up. To you, I've been here for fucking two hours. You know. Where have you been? It's so crazy. Wow. But everywhere she goes, fails. she sets up camp there. It's like already she's got like books stacked around <laughs> and like set up some, uh, you know, statues and a. She takes her statues with her. The pastries. Weird. It's like a little a little homestead set up everywhere. On a plane, it's got a hot plate, making spaghetti over here in first class. It's that. It's like what? Dump stuff out. Is she taking like as a as a Buddhist iconography that she's taking with her? What are the statues? Yeah. Um, oh well, yeah. That <laughs> like a Lynn Chadwick just sits in the like, corner. I can't speak to her Buddhism, but I do know that there's been some moments like when we're like rehearsing where she'll bring in a Ganesh statue that's the size of like an outside garden statue, no. and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> First of all. Where'd you get that idea to bring that? And second of all, you're carrying it yourself. <gasps> that's, that's that's unexpected. That's an, an amazing image, right? And then I sets it up that. in the studio. And then the other deity, and then a goddess, like Shiva, yeah. didn't do much for us, though. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but what about if someone's five minutes late? Are you annoyed? Uh, I'll give them five. But yeah, if you're fifteen or twenty, fuck you. Yeah, I'm out yeah. of there. It is rude to come 10 to 15. It really is. Text. Did you, but Patty, did you ever leave? If someone's 15 minutes late, did you just like not be there? Are you, do you ever go, I'm done, and you walk away? And then they show up and you're not there? Yeah. yeah. Oh. That takes a real, that's gutsy. That's like you know. musician stuff, though. It's like, we said it was yeah. going to be at this time. Sorry. Drumsticks yeah. yeah. in the drum bag, slots, zip, yeah. I'm out. You know, yeah. pack it up. Time yeah. is money. Yeah. Time, time is money. Time is money. On that note, Patty, I want to play, before we move on to our dads this week, I want to play a quick game with you. So, you know, I'm sure you've never been told this by a 38-year-old white woman, but Hole was meant a lot to me growing up. <laughs> I, you know, listened to my my big sister. She had all the, the whole deep cuts. She had uh, my body, the hand grenade, but then... You know, we listen to Pretty on the Inside and, of course, lived through this a lot, a lot, a lot. And it really aligned with my my teen years, which were, I would say, angry, yeah. you know, uh, a, a family, parents that were getting divorced and didn't like myself very much and very much 
was attracted not only to the anger and Courtney Love's voice, but also your drumming, the drive of the music was really uh, electrifying. And I always really loved Hole's lyrics. They're, they're so specific. And I have collected some Hole lyrics. Game is called That's the Wrong Hole. And... <laughs> <laughs> and and Exquisite I'm going to I'm going to read you some real whole lyrics and I'm going to read you some fake lyrics and I'm not going to say what's what I'm just going to read them and you tell me after each stanza that I share whether that's the wrong hole or the right hole okay here we go and I've come here to confess to the wind and the rain and the glorious fame and I've come here all in dressed for the numb and the dumb And they're all the same, the same. The wrong hole? (gasps) That is the real hole. Best best Sunday dress. Best Sunday dress. That's a deep cut too. That's a deep cut. All right. All right. All right. Moving on. Okay. Just walk away. A suicide pact and a cyanide wave. I can't forgive or forget. Beautiful boy inside his cave, honey pushed him to his grave. I thought, oh, that's from Pretty on the Inside. That was the wrong hole, Patty. Patty. This is my favorite game ever. No, it's made up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God. Okay, Patty, here we go. Baby, there is a room full of whores and death and you. And I am waiting in that room. I am waiting here for you. It's all horrors. It's all pain. It's all diseases. Man, it's all the same. Uh, the right hole. Dick nail? Was that it? That's the right hole. I know whose porno you burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Black. Yeah. All right. Here we go. The pea girl burns to be a bride. Your ever lovely suicide. I don't remember. I forget. The right hole. And um, That's when right. we did that song originally, Mike Giacondino, the guy that did so many grunge records in Seattle, thought the lyric was, he, he said to me, is she saying the beagle burns to be? <laughs> and, like, and I go, beagle like a dog? And, Fair. And, yeah. he, and he's like, yeah, is that beagle? And I said, no, but I, I'm not telling you what it is. You can just keep it as beagle. <laughs> the beagle. It's a song about Snoopy. Um, it's yeah, a Snoopy's it's, it's a girl. It's a Snoopy. Snoopy. Courtney's a big Peanuts yeah. fan. Huge, Huge Carl Schultz right. fan. Okay. My rotted will like a Hollywood shell. No moral compass. Just left with this dress. I love Brett Ratner. <laughs> the wrong hole. <laughs> <laughs> that is a Courtney Love original. All right. Patty, you got two out of um, five correct. So congratulations. Thank you. That, that is amazing. amazing. You did great. Work. No, you got three correct. You got three, which is a C plus. So good job. All right. Patty, you should tell Ms. Love that if she needs a ghostwriter for her long-suffering, unfinished memoir, <laughs> she should consider Elizabeth Thompson. I know. Because that is some pretty fucking good yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I had a very um. It's I once voice interviewed. Driven. I once interviewed Courtney on the phone years ago when I worked at Paper Magazine, and she was upset. She was trying to talk about. It was an article about googling yourself, 
And she was very set on like she was upset that these unattractive photos of her were coming up high in Google search results. And I was saying to her, like, you know, I think it's because people click on the most salacious ones and were the ones that are the least flattering. And so it causes it to come up higher. And she's like, no, 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 no. And then um, someone came into the room and she's like, hold on, you know. And so like she put me on hold, but, you know, I could hear what she was saying. And she's like, you know, I'm going to get off the phone with this this chick from Paper Magazine now because I don't think she has the intellectual capacity to grasp what I'm talking about. And not only did I hear her say that she also said it to <laughs> ne- what was his name Neil Aaron, Neil, Strauss. Neil Strauss Neil good, Strauss good who Neil. wrote the game yeah yeah so I'm know. like I want to time travel back to 12 year old me listening to like 20 years in the Dakota with my sister like angry and sad and be like Courtney Love will tell the man who wrote the game that you're dumb <laughs> Oh and also God. Jenna Jameson's biography, the porn star or something. That's- Never beat your heroes, although I'm very, you are one of my heroes, Patty, and I'm <laughs> meeting you. you now. So, so and it's going great. And we played a game. Wrote for paper. That's I did. amazing and cool. Thanks, Patty. Well, uh, I'm immediately right. want to be protective th- and just like, don't listen to her. <laughs> Good, good. That's why I shared that with you. I cannot believe how much of a vindication this is for your busy. Like, it really is. Earned and legit. Earned and legit. Wow. Thank you for playing the wrong hole, Patty. That was amazing. For creating an amazing, funny game. Let's right now go into who our dads were for this week. And when we decide something or someone is our dad, it's because we think it or they have shown big boss energy tempered by compassion, intelligence, and or vulnerability. Patty, would you like to go first with this? Yeah. Um, my dad is Quinn Cummings, who was a, um, she was a child actress. Okay. And she was in that show Family with uh, Christy McNichol and Seda Thompson. That's right. and, and then she mm-hmm. was also in The Goodbye Girl, Richard Dreyfus, And she was like really like precocious. I'm sure she would hate that. I, we're not friends at all. But I was always a fan of her <laughs> because she was like, large vocabulary precocious like kid actor well nowadays she lives somewhere in silver lake that's near where i just lived i just moved and i'd see her running or walking around the reservoir and listening to podcasts she has her own podcast and she's an author she wrote a book she doesn't do acting anymore but i'm obsessed with her because at first i was like fascinated by 70s child star quinn but then I love her writing. She does these on Twitter. She's a funny, amazing person. She does cat rescues. So she talks about cats a lot. Um, she has a yeah. grown daughter that is beautiful and just started college. And she talks about her daughter. And she's a really smart parent. So I really leaned into what in her podcast she'll um, talk about or in her Twitter she'll talk about parenting. Like she's super clever, funny, and... She doesn't take shit from people, but she also, her podcast is Quinn gives bad advice. And so people write in with a problem and then she gives them advice and it's always really smart. Um, And I just, (laughs) she 
I guess followed me on Twitter a couple of years ago and I flipped out and I just, I don't know. There's some people in your world that you're just like, I put her up there with like, she's just right next to Jean Cocteau and John Bonham in my mind. I just, I don't know. She feels like through the whole pandemic, uh, I just listened to her and read her Twitter and like, she just felt good and safe to me. And I'm like, Quinn's going through it. And then sometimes I'd see you jogging and then I'd go, Oh my God, it's Quinn. And does she know that you feel no, this way? No, Are you friends? No, no. And she doesn't Why like not? when people do the whole child star thing. Cause I've read enough of to know that, but, and you know, like, I'm sure she wants people that appreciate her to talk about what she's doing now, but which, which I'm, I love, which did, yeah. but I don't know why. I just wanted her to be my dad because it, like <sighs> she was the one that like kind of brought me to the earth and brought during the pandemic, like we're all going through it. And she's like, she doesn't have any like drug or alcohol issues. I don't know. It just seemed so Whoa. like why? And like not, you know, she didn't, we don't have any mutual friends or anything. I don't know why she just like yeah. important. And it used to be because she was a seventies child star, but it's about just who she is, I think. Because surviving that as a kid, being a child star and surviving it, being a functioning creative adult is no mean feat. That's you know? right. I hope that you can meet her now. Maybe she'll hear this. Maybe she'll hear this and then... We'll do we'll, what we can yeah, to bring we'll at her. this Quinn, to her. next time you jog by Patty, stop and say hi. I'm always in the car. She'd love to talk. And I just want to <laughs> slow down because it's on the route to take my daughter to her other mom's house. So I always want to roll down the window. Zzz, and go, hi, I really, you know, like I would do that Chris Farley thing with Paul McCartney. I would do it. I've already, it's Thank already you. happened to me once. And I, I didn't know what was happening when I did it. And I did it to Sarah Silverman. And my friends were like, Patty, reel it fucking in. We thought you had manners around this. And I was like, sir, remember that time you did that thing where your, your sloppy, your Shelly, uh, shoplift Shelly doll got stolen and, you blamed it on your housekeeper and you said your housekeeper shoved it up your dog's butt. Remember that? And she was like, yeah, okay. My friend Will was like, stop it. <laughs> it's going to happen with Quinn Cummings Amazing. too. I'm doing it now. I've done it the whole last five minutes talking about her. That was a really I kind of, it. I thought that was quite a gracious tribute. That was a I gracious tribute. I did the same thing to Judy Davis once. I just kept talking and the nonsense coming out of my mouth was breathtaking. And my friend was psychically willing me to shut up. And afterwards yes. I had this total paradigm shift. And now if I see anyone I really respect, like iconically, like at a party or something, I only say, I am so grateful for your yes. work. Yes. Thank you so That's much. The thing. And then I go away because I'm like, what yeah. else do I expect? They're not going to be my best friend. You know what I mean? But I have a rule. I'm very strict with myself. Judy Davis, like, fellow oh. Australian. Yeah. And oh. she was pretty gracious. But even Judy Davis, like kind of look, you could see the look on her face. She went from like, oh, I'm just going to endure this. I've survived LA. And then she's like, <laughs> even that mask fell off her face. And she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, she didn't say that to me, but that's what her face said. And I'm like, God, I really must have yeah. done. I've since a done a moment that. where I had sort of a, a realization and I, I worked at this dog daycare and boarding place. I'm going to make this short. And we, when I was, it was my first uh, early recovery job, the get well job. And you need to show up and be accountable. Anyway, one of the dogs that came in to get groomed was Ann Wilson, her dog, who was a Westie. <gasps> no, a Westie for Ann. Uh, the dog was supposed to get delivered back to her. And I was like, I'll do it. You know, so I take the dog, you know, get in the dog delivery van. 
and and then like over to like Sunset Plaza or it was like she was renting a house and I like pulled up and like went up to the gate and went and and I could hear like hello (laughs) hello hello (laughs) and then uh, she comes to the gate and then I'm like hi I have uh, Dreamweaver or whatever. Dreamweaver. <laughs> yeah. Barracuda. <laughs> Barracuda the Westie. Barracuda, yeah. Uh, and then she's like, um, oh, thank you. And I, you know, I go, this is it right here where the change happened. I said, um, I love your work. I'm such a fan. Are you in town? Are you writing new music? Because when you're like everybody knows heart for all that old stuff and you want to be relevant for your stuff today. Right. So I'm thinking I'm as a fellow artist. Right. So I said, I'm really looking forward to hearing your new music. Are you writing new stuff? And she's like, Oh, I am. Yes. We're over at, you know, blah, 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 da, da, da. And I said, awesome. I'm really, really want to hear, um, you know, and so it was like, yeah, it's my new solo, you know, animal since da, da, da. And I was like, yeah. And she was like really nice and gracious. And she took her dog and went in and I, and that was it. But, that's the thing. It's like, you don't, you know, you want people to ask about what you're doing now, not like, I love live through this, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know what? That's I right. do needle felting now. Ask me about that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Get true. kind of forceful about it. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's totally. You don't want people to do what we've done this whole podcast, which is ask you about Kurt Cobain and live through this. I, I know, that's fine. <laughs> but like, I, like, I was going through a phase where I was like, I don't want to be known as like a Gary Coleman, which I love Gary Coleman, but everybody was like different strokes. That's all. That's it for him. And it's like, whole. Yeah. that's it for you. <laughs> okay. That's different whole strokes. No. I'm not Gary Coleman. You're not Gary Coleman. It's just part of what you achieved. No, it's true. It might be a time to wrap it up. And you have to start an Etsy page. Do you have an Instagram, Patty? I do. Do you show your needlework on Insta? I will. Also, okay. I'm painting, and that's my next thing is I'm going to put up my paintings on my pattyshummel.com. We'll Hell buy yeah. some paintings. It's not pretty, friends. It is not pretty, these paintings. <laughs> Good. We don't want pretty. That's fine. Yeah, it's all that's not fun great. and games and yuck yucks here. This is dark stuff. <laughs> you know who does really games. great? I feel like you might have something in common with Isabella Rossellini. She does these very yes. kind of, she does a little paper intric- uh, insects and yes. then they turn them into a, a whole series of films. Like the sky's the limit. You ch- like imagine collaborating with Isabella Rossellini. Yeah. Let's do oh, a snail. I'm sure you have. She, I've already done a snail. Okay. <laughs> I've already done a snail, Patty. I feel like she'd just be like, okay. Yeah. yeah. She sort of says, she seems like pretty up for anything. Yeah. Let's film it in know. black and white. No. I don't want to do it in black and white. Uh, no. Can I go next? Because I want to talk about potential for the future. I think this is a good way mm-hmm. to seg into my thing. Based on what you were saying, Patty, like when you're talking about the things that you're going to do next and you're looking to your future, my dad this week is Paxton Smith of Mm. texas Mm -hmm. she's a valedictorian of her dallas high school and she was delivering a speech she got her three minutes that you know the administration had already approved her speech you know that one of those safe kind of tired speeches that the person stands up and goes we've got the world ahead of us and blah 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 she she was all set to deliver this speech then she stands up uh on sunday scraps the speech and delivers one that hadn't been censored or approved because she was 
reacting to a law that had just been signed by noted friend to women, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas on May 19, which goes into effect on September 1, banning abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. Six weeks. Yeah. Six weeks. You don't even know you're pregnant. That's her point. Or that she you talks missed your period or if, you know, if you have. I mean, she talks about this in the three minutes she got, but she really packed a punch this kid, this woman, sorry, this young woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to play a little excerpt from it, just about 20 seconds of the three-minute speech. I have dreams and hopes and ambitions. Every girl graduating today does. And we have spent our entire lives working towards our future. And without our input and without our consent, our control over that future has been stripped away from us. I mean, beautifully worded, beautifully concise and really powerful. She was talking about this, like the world kind of reacted. The Times did a piece on it. They said that she, they asked her about the experience. She was shaking the whole time she was speaking. She said she's looking down at the audience and there's a woman, like some Karen in the front row, indicating, cut her mic, cut her mic, which she did not, they did not do. Nobody cut her mic. Oh, good. Um, The school then afterwards, like, said, you know, we don't want to be political. They just kind of washed their hands of it and didn't, they just didn't say anything about it. She certainly got a lot of cheers. And Hillary Clinton tweeted out her support, you know, like there was a huge rally around her. But I thought, you know, that's badass because that's nerve wracking if you've got to stand up in a football stadium full of people delivering a speech that the entire institution has approved, but you decided to go against it. It's like being a rock star for a second. Uh, What an awesome way to use that platform. And she gives me hope for that generation. Like those kids are going to don't stop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Can't 100%. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing. I didn't want to add much more to that, I think. She just was big boss dad energy move, and I think she should be commended. Aaron. Dude, it, it's the perfect segue to uh, my dad, who is Caden X. Coleman, a.k.a. Papa Seahorse, a black trans advocate and educator who is a father of two children that he birthed himself. Mm-hmm. following two unplanned but much-wanted pregnancies. The first was seven years ago. So I think he was on the Today Show, whether that's the British version or the U.S. version, but um, I read about him in the Daily Mail, where I get all my news. Mm-hmm. And I checked out his Instagram. So check him out. Uh, Papa Seahorse. He tells the story about getting pregnant accidentally when he had stopped taking testosterone following a top surgery, which means when he had his breasts removed. And I guess you have to go off of hormones for a while. And with his, his partner, his male partner, he became pregnant and wanted to have the child. They both wanted to be parents. So he's become an advocate for just better treatment from the medical community in particular. I'll just read some quotes. Even growing up as a girl, I hated my chest. I never wanted to wear a bra, and I knew that even if I didn't transition, I would have had a reduction. But I never had bottom surgery because it's expensive. There are often a lot of complications with it, and it can numb things sexually, he added. I've never been scared of backlash because at the end of the day, until these people are paying my bills or putting food on my table, their opinions are just that. 
I knew I wanted to transition in, in 2007, but at the time there weren't very many resources and a female to male transition wasn't very common. I identified as lesbian at the time and my girlfriend was not okay with me transitioning and tried to talk me out of it. So it wasn't until 2009 that I started the process. I had to stop taking testosterone six weeks prior to the surgery, and a month after I had it, I conceived my first child. I thought I was just gaining weight, but actually I was growing a baby. He goes on to talk about the realities of being pregnant and how traumatic it was to give birth in an industry and in a society. I mean, this man has a full beard and was able to cover the pregnancy or just sort of evade any kind of violence against him uh, because he could just pretend he had a big fat beer belly. His baby is only 10 months old. And so he gives workshops and educates and I don't know it's just it's just so badass and he says that though pregnancy is one of the most difficult things that has can ever happen to the human body I do enjoy parts of being pregnant like the fact that it makes my beard thicker I don't know I also just connected with it because I am a cis born woman who has ovaries, I have a uterus, but I've never like had that feeling of like, I want to use them to grow a baby in me. And so that's why it's, it feels connected to Matt, your dad this, this week, you know, like just autonomy over our bodies is so, so important. You cannot force somebody to carry a baby or not carry a baby or, get bottom surgery that costs, you know, $400 million just because you're trans and like, how dare your face look one way, but your genitals another. It was very exciting to see Caden just like putting it all out there unapologetically and reminding us, not just JK Rowling, you know, (laughs) that people have babies, people Mm -hmm. menstruate. One in 1,000 pregnancies, I think, is it leads to an intersex birth, meaning a child has some or both or different sex organs. Do we even call them sex organs? I think we do. You know, internal, external. So part of pride is learning about how to be better advocates for these very basic health and life decisions. Look into it. He talks a lot about having to get a new health insurance plan as a woman, you know, God knows. Well, like the day-to-day, like, admin parts of being trans. I think I read a stat that said that teenage, trans teenagers are 50% less likely to be, to commit suicide if they are not misgendered. Mm -hmm. Like, if if you just refer to them by the pronouns that they ask to be referred to, they are they're 50% less likely to, to commit suicide, which is insane. Yeah. Busy? Yeah. How about you? <laughs> Thank you for, for saying all of that, Erin. It's very important. So I'm going to take us home. My dad this week, and I'm shocked that we have never talked about this person on this podcast because he is America's dad, Tom Hanks. 
Oh Tom Hanks wrote an op-ed today for the New York Times what? about the Tulsa Race Massacre. For those listening at home, in 1921, a white mob burned down a affluent, thriving business district that was Black-owned in Tulsa called Black Wall Street, also called Greenwood. I think 300 people were killed. Thousands of people were injured, displaced. It was horrific. It's not taught in schools. I didn't learn right. about the Tulsa Race Massacre until nope. a few years ago. You know, shows like Watchmen and Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft, yeah. Also talked about it. But so Tom Hanks writes this, I thought, very well done essay about the fact that he also didn't know about it until very recently and how this just shows that we really need to look at how white supremacy has shaped school curriculum and what we teach kids and what we don't teach them. I've been thinking a lot about this too from our last episode with this. Yufna Soldier Wolf, who's the daughter of a Arapaho Native American tribe elder, who's who he himself was sent to an Indian boarding school. And there's this whole legacy of horrific death and abuses at Indian boarding schools that I had no I didn't even know that these existed. And I grew (sighs) up in Phoenix, which has a major street running through it called Indian School Road. Like we just aren't taught these things. And I do think that education is the or lack of education is a, a powerful tool for white supremacy. So people were sort of wincing on Twitter this morning saying, you know, I really don't care what Tom Hanks has to say about the Tulsa race massacre. And I understand that perspective, but I also feel like, you know what, I think it actually is up to white people to talk about this stuff. And I think that we need to look at the fact that this happened and own it as a country, even as painful and shameful as it is. He played Mr. Rogers for a reason. He played Mr. Rogers for a reason. However, a lot of the response on Twitter today is, Sir, explain your son, Chet, who speaks in a Jamaican patois and declared that this summer would be white boy summer. You know, it's all nice and nice and well that you would like to educate the masses on Tulsa and talking about revisionist history as a form of white supremacy. But what about your son? To which I say, fair. Yes. Yeah. And maybe totally and someday fair. if it's appropriate for Tom Hanks to speak openly about this son of his, sure. But I also know that Chad has struggled with substance abuse and perhaps it's none of our business why he feels the need to do the things that he does. Is it embarrassing? Yes. Do we all have family members, siblings, parents who fall far from the tree? But I felt like regardless of Chet, it was really important that Tom Hanks did this. And again, no, we're not waiting with bated breath for Tom Hanks to weigh in on the Tulsa Race Massacre. Of course not. But the fact that he did, I think, is important because he is America's dad. So thank you, Tom Hanks. I think that took big boss energy. And Tom Hanks is welcome at Pride. Amazing. Thank you, Tom Hanks. I think Mm -hmm. the first issue here for him, for Tom, was naming his kid Chet. Amen. (laughs) Start there. And then you do set a precedent there. That's great. Patty, thank you. You need to start a Chet chapter, Al Anon celebrity meeting for people who have named their kids Chet, Laser, or Koa. Yeah. Talk about needing to be accountable. People need to be accountable for naming their kids these things. They just do. It may affect how they operate in the world. It's true. And they could ultimately end up being embarrassing Jamaican rappers who say things like big up the boy at the Golden Globes red carpet. (laughs) Or or liking that Lou Reed record metal machine music. 
when they're four. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Anyway, that's it. We got through it, that's guys. Our, we did get through it. We have all the people we, we were inviting to Pride this. and all the people we're shutting out. Patty, <laughs> we lived through Thank it. Thank you for having me. I've been wanting to be on your sh- podcast. I'm I a fan. I cannot believe it. I dog walk every day. I listen to you guys. And, uh, you know, and then Carrie O'Donnell, that was a day I was at the park. Oh I made God. time to, like, have just walk <laughs> quietly and really take it in. Thank you for that episode. Yeah. Carrie's brain is my favorite thing. When he describes crab, like, that people turn into crabs and crab walk backwards. <laughs> he said that he crab yeah. walked backwards after making awkward small talk with Orlando Bloom at the beach. I like when he does yeah. those, he does subtle reaction videos so much and it's so good. Well, come back anytime and also tell Quinn your true feelings because she'll want you on her podcast. We're going to share this yes. with her. But I've always thought about writing in a question. Okay. Can we be friends? Maybe. Yeah. Can we be friends? I'll come back um, and do another episode and we'll collaborate yes. on my question in an episode. We would love yeah. that anytime. <gasps> and then we'll find out what it was like when you finally became when you finally became friends Patty, with her. You can tell welcome. us what that was like as yes. well. So we'll get updates. We'll get periodic updates. Yes. My God. Um, tell me about your father was created and produced by Aaron Hozier, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. You can follow us on Instagram at Tell Me About Your Father and on Twitter at T M A Y F Podcast. And you can become a Patreon patron of our podcast and get fun extras by going to patreon.com slash tell me about your father.